0: Hello and welcome to the Basta Up Podcast episode 70. Today we have a very special conversation coming at you following last week's history-making midterm elections. Y'all know I used to work in politics and I'm still a politico at heart. So today we're departing from our usual structure of question and answer, and instead we're going to dive in deep with a special guest who knows a thing or two about the power of women and women who run. But before we do, I do want to make a special announcement for those of you who didn't see it because you're not already subscribed on our insider email list at bossedup.org, which y'all should be, so I'll make sure to drop a link to that in the show notes. There was a big announcement just the other week from Bossed Up because the fan favorite Bossed Up Life Tracker Planner is officially for sale for 2019. You can now pre-order your very own Life Tracker Planner which incorporates all the behavioral psychology and cognitive science behind making long-term goal pursuit not only possible, but pleasant— It incorporates this proprietary tool called the Bossed Up Life Tracker that I developed when I first started Bossed Up back in 2013. Thousands of women across the globe have downloaded it and used it for free, and now it's incorporated into an easy-to-use step-by-step planner that will hold you accountable to all of your biggest goals across work, love, and wellness for 2019. If you've been looking for the right planner for you that's not only beautiful and lovely and well-made, but is also backed by science and designed specifically to mitigate some of the roadblocks women in particular tend to face when it comes to juggling too much and wearing all the hats to all the people, this is the goal tracking tool for you for 2019 it also comes with 3 masterclass webinar trainings I will be personally hosting with all of our Life Tracker Planner users this coming January and quarterly accountability calls with this community of women who believe in thriving while striving. Find the link in today's show notes to get your hands on our beautiful 2019 planners now before we sell out. And this year you have three gorgeous cover designs to choose from. I hope you enjoy using these planners as much as we loved making them. And now we're going to dive into today's conversation about the boundary-breaking women of the 2018 midterm elections. Joining me on the podcast today to help me break it all down is Erin Velarde, my longtime pal and the founder and CEO of Vote Run Lead, the nation's largest and most diverse training program for women to run for office and win. She first launched Vote Run Lead as vice president of program and communications at the White House Project. Previously, she served as a leadership development consultant for a range of clients, including Fortune 100 companies, Global Girls Initiatives, and the U.S. Department of State, reaching women leaders in a dozen international cities. She's the co-author of the Athena Core 10, an innovative set of leadership competencies for 21st century women based on the latest research and gender analysis from the Athena Athena Center for Leadership Studies at Barnard College. She's spoken previously at the BBC on CNN and Fox News, and her work was featured in, oh, the Oprah Magazine, Marie Claire, and New York Magazine, as well as a variety of places. And now she's joining me here on the Boston Podcast. Erin, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So excited to talk through these midterm elections. I have to admit, There was a conversation going on in our Facebook group at Bossed Up, the Bossed Up Courage community, in which somebody posted on election night, is anyone else having like 2016 flashbacks and stress eating and just like biting your nails watching cable news all night? Because it seems even still like a night full of mixed feelings. Is that fair to say?
1: It is fair to say, I think that we as women were hopeful that there would have been a more rejection of misogyny. I think sure. those who practice democracy thought there'd be a greater rejection of, you know, elected officials who want to sort of close our democracy. Uh, yeah. And we didn't feel like those of us who denounce racism thought it would be a greater rejection of racist candidates. And it didn't feel like that full rejection happened or that full swing in the direction of positivity happened. So that felt sure.
0: tough. Yeah. But when you look at the headlines the next day, especially when I was looking at Jessica Bennett's work with New York Times Gender, I'm a big fan of their Instagram account and all of their actual journalism, too. Although I guess they're both journalism. Right. I was reminded, damn, this was an election of major wins when you look at women and women of color, especially I mean, this was boundary breaking in so many ways. So tell me, what's your take and what was your view on all of this like the morning after election day, looking at how women fared?
1: I thought, I mean, 120 women and counting in the United States House of
0: Representatives is
1: history that we don't even know how awesome that impact is gonna be because it wasn't just that women won. We're up 30, 40 women. This is, that's a tremendous number to yeah. jump and what it gets us to is closer to 30%. And when you're at 30%, a third, of body, you get to see that group, whether it's you know, a racial minority and ethnic minority or a gender minority, the group gets to then act in bolder and more courageous ways and has the allies that they're needed because they have the numbers within them. So you're going to see just tremendous stuff coming out of the House of Representatives in the next two years with folks like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, the first Muslim women, you know, with the first black women from Connecticut and from Massachusetts. And, you know, with Lauren Underwood, the youngest black woman ever elected, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the youngest woman ever, and Latina elected at 28. So you'll see a tremendous policy shift happen because of their leadership. So that's really
0: exciting. It's a good reminder, too, on just how we've really never been here before. You're reminding me of research in the HR space that says, you know, if you're hiring for a position, you've got to get to at least 25, 30% diversity, whether that means if you're hiring an engineer and right. you have a ton of men applying, you got to get to at least 25% right. women in the applicant pool in order for gender to no longer be a salient factor in hiring. Right. Right. And so hitting that kind of a threshold in Congress gives me such hope, just like you're saying.
1: And I loved watching the women be women races. I'm like, yes, let's do this. Let's make the yeah. best win. That's actually the place that we want to get to at Boat Run Lead. Um, and yeah. we saw the national trends actually mirrored at the local level. So You know, Deb Haaland and Sharice David, the first Native American congresswoman. You saw Peggy Flanagan elected as lieutenant governor, highest ranking state elected official of of all Native American women as the lieutenant governor of Minnesota. Right. So we saw these trends as well reflected in the local level. So we know that America is ready to elect and trust diverse women. And now we got to get the parties and the media on board to make sure that they're also singing the same song. And we don't want this to be, you know, a splash in the pan, a sort of year of the woman kind of BS that we've seen before.
0: Yeah. And what's interesting is I'm not seeing that in the media. I'm not seeing the year of the woman label thrown around. Why do you think that is? I think actually several of us sort of yelled at them
1: (laughs) in the women's political community and just said, you guys, you've got to dig deeper. You can't be so lazy with, you know, how you're reporting. And if anything, it's the year of the women of color. right? Right. And. What makes this actually truly 2018, a year of the woman, is that this there is a new era for women in politics in America because the infrastructure was built. Women are volunteering, and there are the campaign managers of these women candidates. Women are donating in greater numbers than ever before and maxing out finally, which is something we didn't used to do, and we're the candidates. So it's not just women yeah. running that makes this sort of a, a remarkable year. What makes this pivotal for our democracy is that the infrastructure around women's leadership in politics and women's contributions in politics is from activism, donors, and candidates.
0: Do you think it took a misogynist in the White House to make that happen? Uh I did. I do.
1: (laughs) And, you know, part of the silver lining of having this mixed bag on Tuesday night is that women, you know, we can't sit back. Yeah. The repudiation is not going to happen that quickly. Um, 2020 is, you know, 100 years of the women's right to vote although women of color had a slower you know, suffrage, it is that milestone in our country. You will see four or five women running on the Democratic side for president. You will see these women who have been recently elected You're going to see folks come after them, both on the Democratic side as well as Republicans and who think they can beat Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, right? Right. So we have to make sure that we are, you know, doubling down on the women that ran and doubling down on the women that ran and lost. So I'm thinking of Luba Gretchen Foley, who out in Long Island ran against Peter King. He's been in office for 25 years since she was like 14 years old or some funny statistic. She came this close. Now he's probably going to retire. And so that will be an open race out in Long Island. And what's going to happen is a bunch of progressives are going to think they can beat Luba when she actually laid the groundwork. So we got to make sure that Luba takes her time to grieve that she lost, but that she's up and running, raising that money, getting that email out and knowing that she's the front runner for the Democratic nomination. She ran as a Dem, you know, in 2020
0: it is a good reminder of how people are talking about certain male candidates who lost in a way. I'm talking especially here about Beto O'Rourke, like he should run for president tomorrow. And it's like, not that I don't think that's a fine conclusion to draw. But the question for me was, you know, oh, how are we talking about women losers? Like, how are we talking about women candidates who didn't quite right. fair so well. We actually did an episode earlier in July with the executive director of Emily's List who got the post after losing her own election. And she really gave us a very candid interview on what that was like bouncing back from and knowing that the world tells a different story about women who run and, and don't win than men who run and don't win. That's right. right. So you're saying to protect our gains in 2020, yeah? Protect our gains in 2020.
1: I mean, we also had an alumni run against Kevin McCarthy, uh, Tatiana Mata out in California. Now, she knew she wasn't going to get that close, but she, uh, you know, speaks Spanish, she's Latina, galvanized Latino community, gave voters yeah. a choice. Again, you know, and if he looks vulnerable in 2020, it is because of the hard work of women. And then we have to keep and take that. Too much of what we do inside of party politics, both on the right and the left, is our political capital gets
0: sort of swept up. And I'm going to make sure that that isn't happening. Excellent. And it is reminding me of two races, or one in particular, it's still under a recount. So for our listeners listening to this on Tuesday, know that we recorded this on Thursday afternoon. But our fair governor's race, I don't know if fair is the right word in that context, actually, but Stacey Abrams, who is battling really for the governor's seat in Georgia, running a very courageous campaign, is still under recount. Things are dicey and dodgy given that her opponent is the secretary of state and sort of has power over how elections are run right now. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's lawsuits that follow this recount. Well, and this is a
1: call to why we need more women and more you know, pro-democracy folks on the right and the left running for the state legislature. So he had tried to do this thing where your name doesn't exactly match. You get kicked off the rolls. It takes sort of non-traditional names more likely to kick them off. That's why more people of color kicked off. The federal government said, no, you can't do that. The Voting Rights Act changed. Then they just had the state legislature re-up the law again, right? So right. they're probably been close to a million. They're looking at hundreds of thousands of voters that have been purged since 2014. So Crazy. the margins that she's running by, potentially losing by, are people who have been rejected and who are legally allowed to vote in the United States of America. So it should be a recount. They're suing also to make sure that he cannot actually oversee the process. Like, how insane right. is that? It's like, I'm in a bar brawl. And
0: the guy that's like calling the shots is also like the guy who's fighting. Like, no, you don't get to be both, you know? Yeah, no, it's definitely complicated. But what I was thinking of as you were talking about building that ground game is no matter what happens in races, like what we saw in Georgia this year and what we saw in Texas, other states that are very purple right now is there has been an infrastructure built that's not going away overnight, even if those candidates don't quite make it over the top. That's right. Let's talk about Republican women. How did Republican women fare in 2016? Well,
1: Republican women didn't necessarily run in the same numbers, right. but saw some, probably a great story coming out of California, young Kim, and will be the first Korean American woman um, in the Republican Party and the first Korean American woman in Congress, which is really exciting. Yeah, um, Marsha Blackburn, who, you know, I guess the Taylor Swift effect wasn't as popular as we thought, but Marsha <laughs> Blackburn is the first woman senator to come out of Tennessee. Tennessee, and- Yep. And so there were some gains there, but I have to check, but I'm not sure that there were any changes in the number of women of color in the Republican Party in Congress. I think right. it's actually the same with like one loss and one gain. And so it's been a quieter surge locally as well. We're not seeing the growth that we are seeing with women on the left and women who don't necessarily identify with either party, they're also running in larger numbers than Republican women. Right. We're right. gonna have this really tough conversation on Monday, November twelfth. I know this will be air on Tuesday. We're recording on Thursday. But we're having a conversation with Republican women about how this pink wave needs red. That we cannot have women's you cannot have feminism. You cannot have the you know policy priorities of women only live within one political party. And so, how do we get these Republican women to sort of take back what has been a very co opted turning into a very misogynistic national Republican party? Yes,
0: that's a good question. And I know that some of the strongest responses that I've seen online have to do with the women who carried. Candidates into office who are very misogynistic, and they're white women. And we have to address where race intersects with gender on this election. There was some talk about white women who elected Donald Trump, the majority of whom elected Donald Trump, especially white suburban women, and whether or not some of that support would drop off in the midterms. And it seems like we didn't see that happen. In as large of numbers as I think a lot of people had hoped for.
1: Just thinking back on that, sort of like 53%, but that number is somewhat misinforming in the sense that, you know, not all American women voted, right? It had very much to do with geographic areas, rural communities, suburban yeah. rural communities, whether your community itself voted Republican, you know, and so it's sort of where we live that we have to talk more about because if we're surrounded by folks who have a, have a group think, and there's no yeah. way we can put our Hillary Clinton bumper sticker on the back of our car. You know, we had women right. that lost that vote run lead that my mom can't tell my dad she's actually voting for Hillary. So there's a group of white women who do that. There's a group of white women who vote on a particular issue, a single voter issue, and it's a Republican right. issue and it's a pro-life issue. They're going to trade on that for as long as they yeah. can. And then there's, yes, a group of women who hold their nose and, and vote for Trump, which blows my mind. So, you know, I've been doing nonpartisan work for 15 years and dedicated to doing nonpartisan work. This, to me, has nothing to do with, like, being a... The party politics. Somebody who's an outlier. I think that repudiation that we wanted to see, we really wanted to see it from white women on Tuesday night, and the it's, we're not sure, we're not sure that that happened. And so the question is, why can yeah. these other candidates speak to them in a way? What is it that's that's holding this? Yeah. It's the economics. You know, we need to figure out how to and how to speak to it.
0: I think that's a really good point. And I also have been hearing the urban-rural divide as being one of the biggest parts of the demographic picture in terms of what divides us politically as well. So for our listeners tuning in today, I'd love to hear from you if you are a proud feminist in rural America or if you are a conservative woman in urban America, what is your experience like? We want to hear from you. And if you are a white woman who votes Republican- Help us understand and not necessarily all Republican, the whole Republican ticket, but especially for Donald Trump. A lot of white women took the ticket in Florida, right? That said, I'm going to vote for
1: Andrew Gillum, but down ballot, I'm a Republican and these are the issues that I care about. So I did not like the DeSantis campaign and how they immediately went to this sort of racist trope. So yeah, we've got to get out of the team sport that like, I'm only down blue or all down red. Our democracy is not a team sport and it's been set up that way.
0: Yes. And I actually find it mildly offensive. I mean, there's plenty of offense to go around if you want to parse down through all the demographics. But to say that all women should vote Democratic is so simplifying. And that's not what we're going for here. Right. I'm as proudly Democratic as they come, but I don't expect every woman to vote Democrat either.
1: Well, and I want to have the policy conversation, right? I go around, I get the opportunity to right. go around the country talking to Republican, Democrat, and, and women who don't affiliate just yet. You know, 42% of Americans and rising are independent. So it's not even the right. the trope. Like, my, first of all, my identity is not wrapped up in, like, like party voting. Like, I'm only registered right. Democrat in New York so that I can vote in the primary and have a say, you know? Yeah. But otherwise, I would love for there to be open primaries. There's some system stuff that we can talk about. But I have this privilege of going around the country and you know, Republican young women, often young women of color or first-generation immigrants, they care about pay equity. They come at equity from a different perspective. They come at it from an economic engine, you know, a drop, like that this is not the fair and just thing to do. This is actually smart for the markets to be putting that money back into the economy. It's like, great, I don't care how you come to it. Let's pay women the same amount we pay men. Right. We're on the left, we're like making this moral, just argument. And on the right, we're making this economic incentive argument. Great. Let's figure out and write some legislation to get this done.
0: But to me, just to call myself out here, because I can hear folks of color calling me in on this already on Twitter, rightfully so, the thing I think that is most offensive, especially to people of color, is hearing the privilege wrapped up in being a a white woman who says, I don't particularly care about the Republican Party's stance on immigration or right. on police brutality or on populations of people in this country who are persecuted in a way we can't even fathom, that we don't feel threatened by. And I think it does take a certain amount of white privilege trumping gender persecution to pull that lever I mean, for a it's party. Supremacy.
1: You know, like, that's yeah. what it is, right? It's and women experience white women experience white supremacy and have right. a an understanding of it. There isn't the national conversation there has been around like women in leadership in the last decade. Right. So there isn't a way to be like, oh, actually I'm coming at this because I'm already taken care of. I'm kind of lucky right? my position in the world. Yeah. Like people on Tuesday here were like, don't worry, life will go on. It's like, oh, for you, you know? (laughs) So if you're saying that you're probably white and you're probably like free, you probably got a job you know and you yeah. probably aren't getting deported the cops aren't coming to your house at night and your kids aren't locked up so
0: i mean that's just a reminder of how real elections are they have consequences and i know most of my listeners are voters and we've been talking on the podcast in recent weeks about getting our friends to vote because there is no way to sit the shit out and expect for the country we believe in to maintain its basic fundamental values. That is America. And we've got to
1: run for office. There are next next year twenty nineteen. Yeah. There are nineteen thousand school board seats that are up for election. Nineteen thousand wow. school board seats up in twenty nineteen. It's like get on your school board, man. We took like all these important women out of the uh, school curriculum in Texas. That was insane. That's made at the yeah. level. There are state school boards that set the curriculum agenda. You want your kids to eat healthy food. You want like your local farmers yeah. to you know be connected. Great. You could do that on the school board level, and there's literally right. 19,000 seats for you to run for next year. Right.
0: 20- and state house seats, too. I'm reminded of Faith Winner, who is here in Colorado and an alum of Vote Run Leads program, or no, a t- on the team member, right? Yeah, she's a team member, national training director. She just won her election for higher
1: office. She's a state senator, and today senator. she just won a leadership position as caucus chair.
0: Awesome. And our entire state here in Colorado is now run by the Democrats. So it's a very Wild a time of opportunity led by women. And so I think, tell us a little bit about why Vote Run Lead is all about engaging women in that running part, right? We know women can get involved on the local level, activism-wise, donation-wise, running campaigns. How do we get more women to run, (laughs) Erin? One, you know, you're enough, right? A huge part of it is just like, I'm not sure I totally know what's up here. You know,
1: do I have the right skills for this? Like Vote Run Lead is here to tell you you're enough the curriculum, the methodology, the mantra is run as you are. And in fact, yeah. like, that's what's needed is the diversity of perspective. And we can teach you the, how to campaign and how to do all that stuff. And we can teach you how to transfer those skills that you have as a podcaster, you know, and how that can be translated into public life. Noted. I think the other thing about getting women in is letting them know what seats are available to them. Right. And that you don't yeah. have to have this like political career where you're 30 years in politics be on the school board for four, eight years, be in your legislature for eight years, you know, be on the city council for a term, check out the county commission seats. They have a huge budget. Those federal dollars, billions come through and understand that you know how to do good with your power, that you know where you're going to want to put resources in your community and- a lot of the work that we're doing as women is knocking on the halls of power is sort of, you know, asking our legislators to change their opinion. It's a two way street. If some of us are not sitting there, we're going to be constantly knocking on the doors and not actually the ones opening them to good ideas.
0: I love it. And it's a good reminder of just how inspiring the, journeys have been that we've heard on this podcast from Deb Holland, who I interviewed back in July, and Lauren Underwood, both of whom won their elections and made history in the process. So if you haven't already listened to those two interviews, I'll drop them in the show notes below. They're absolutely worth checking out to get a sense of just how diverse the background experience is for now, soon to be sworn in Congresswoman. (laughs) Keep up the amazing work, Erin. Congratulations on the little future voter that I could hear in the background there a little bit. Your 10-week-old baby. And congratulations to the 84 Vote Run Lead alumni who won on Tuesday. 84 Vote Run Lead alums won on wow. Tuesday. Yeah. Congratulations on all the fronts. The work you're doing is amazing. Keep it up. And thank you for sharing some of your precious time with us today. Thank you. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move Moment of the Week.
2: This is Erica from North Carolina. I'm calling with a boss move of the week. Recently, I transferred to a new position in my company and I'm uh, relatively high up in middle management and I became uh, friendly with someone who's at a lower level than me at a different department she's a little bit younger than me and she seems like she needed some help figuring out how to handle some of the career conundrums that you often tackle on your podcast and some other women in work podcasts that I've listened to have often tried to address these sorts of things. And so I decided to sort of mentor her and help her with, figuring out how to speak with her boss about getting a performance evaluation and getting a raise. And just recently, I found out that not only did she get that performance evaluation, but a huge raise. And I'm so happy that I've been able to help her in her career as well. So I wanted to thank you so much for being able to give me the tools that I need to be able to be a good mentor to somebody else. Erica, this
0: is the ultimate definition of lifting as we climb. I'm so excited to hear from you. Thank you so much for calling in and sharing this boss move. It's such a leadership move on your part. And it's such a beautiful example of the ripple effect that I hope this podcast has. And a reminder of how powerful it can be when you pass on good bossed up insights and help break down career conundrums with the women around us. And yes, below us those who are newer to the workforce those who might be wrestling with the struggles of middle management themselves climbing the ladder to the executive suite really at any level whatever it is that you're going through know that you're not alone and know that you can troubleshoot this stuff with other women around you too including when it's as simple as sharing a podcast that made an impression on you so thank you Erica for carrying the torch and being a total boss and Being a total boss mentor, I cannot congratulate you and your mentee who clearly benefited from your mentorship enough. Now, if you've got a boss move to share or a career conundrum you want us to unpack next, don't forget to give our hotline a ring right now or save this number in your phone so that the next time you need some career advice, you've got me on speed dial. It's always a voicemail waiting for you. It's never going to be me. Don't worry. I'm not going to pick up, but you can call the hotline now at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. I'm on the road to Los Angeles later this week with a packed house at our Bossed Up Bootcamp debut in Los Angeles this weekend. And I cannot wait to get bossing with y'all. If you are ready to navigate career transition or level up in your career and life and want to get in on all the goodness that his Bossed Up Bootcamp, we have 2019 registration dates available now. Check it out on the website at the link below. And know that I'm coming next to DC and new york and chicago in 2019 so get in on that it's worth the haul if you're going to make a trip out of it you're always welcome to join us as an out-of-towner it's always worth the trip it's the best thing i do and i cannot wait to get Boston with y'all this weekend in la until next time keep Boston in pursuit of your purpose and together like erica we'll continue to lift as we climb